episode 19. After the show, don't forget to visit tell.fish slash gear to get our recommendations on gear that will take your angling adventures to the next level and help make you the next Telltale Fisherman. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. Well, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Captain Lonnie Goman from Green Bay Trophy Fishing. Captain Lonnie, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm great, and it's uh, great to have you on here. And I've been uh, looking at a lot of your epic posts that you've been putting on social media and Instagram and uh, seeing a lot of cool fishing you do up there in your area that I'm excited to talk about here shortly. But before we get into the fishing that you do now, talk to us a little bit about you know, how you got the fishing bug. I mean, did you grow up fishing or you know, where, where did your love for fishing come from? You know, I grew up fishing. I just loved it as a young boy. I, you know, it was already uh, built right into me. I actually grew up in Algoma, Wisconsin. It's a little town between uh, Green Bay and uh, Sturgeon Bay. It's right on Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. I grew up fishing on the piers, uh, casting for big Chinook salmon, you know, June, July, August. Oh, okay. So I got, you know, a love of fishing already back in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Right. And then did you, is it something you kept up with as, as you went through school and just gravitated yeah. right on into to guiding or? Exactly. So I, um, I, you know, I started fishing, uh, on the green Bay side, if anyone knows, uh, between, you know, you got Wisconsin and there's the thumb called the door County peninsula. So we have world-class freshwater fishing. You have the green Bay side, which is a basin of Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a little bit more shallower in lower green Bay where that holds a lot of walleye and smallmouth bass. Okay. And you know, Lake Michigan is deep and cold where most of the trout and salmon are. So I had the best of both worlds. You had walleye, perch and bass on the green Bay side and you had the salmon and trout on the Lake Michigan side. So as a young boy, we got to beat both sides up fishing, uh, multi-species freshwater. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of great species there too. And, and so that was one thing I, I really wanted to ask you is how, you know, you've got some tremendous open water up there. I mean, that's, it's like a whole ocean of, of freshwater, those lakes you have. And I was just wondering, how do you decide, you know, when you're going to be inshore in the bays and when you're going to go offshore? Bay is so big. If you want to really be a good multi-species fisherman and dial in, I diet, like to dial in on bass, walleye, and muskie mm-hmm. and some northern pike. So, uh, you know, bass and walleye are seasonal. Obviously, you've got spring when ice goes out. You have that late April, early May. In Wisconsin, the fishing season opens uh, the first weekend in May. And that first couple weeks is just phenomenal for bass and walleye. They're spawning what we call the pre-spawn phase. They're on the shoreline, so you target your shorelines. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of a rocky break, shoreline, shoreline break is really good. Those are transition areas where the fish slide up and they um, uh, do their thing in terms of spawning. And those are times that they're a little more vulnerable. They're, uh, you can catch them. And, uh, you know, a lot of shoreline fishing, for example, uh, trolling, casting, jigging, all works really well for good techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then from spring, you kind of transfer into a, 
a pulse spawn pattern or an early summer pattern for bass and walleye. Okay. Uh, that's when they get a little more finicky. Actually, they'll put the feed bag on, and then they kind of go into a, a midsummer pattern, mm-hmm. the bass and walleye, but where they get a little more finicky, like I just said earlier. Yeah. Because um, that's with full spawn, they get really, really hungry. Um, they just got done spawning. They want to eat. Um, the water temperatures are warming up. Bass and walleye are both cold-blooded. So they're almost kind of like a lizard or a snake. The warmer they get, their their metabol- metabolism speeds up a little bit. So they get they get more hungry, and that makes sense when you get into late June, July, and August. The water temperature is usually warming at seventy to mid seventy on the surface. Not saying it's that down below, right? But they they get pretty good appetites to where um, they need to eat. So those are good times uh, to fish. Do you favor casting with lures at one point versus trolling at other points, or how how do you decide what you're going to do on a given day when you go out? Yeah, it's all usually based on customer preference. So you get customers that just want fish for a fish fry. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's troll because trolling is an effective way. You put offshore planer boards out with um, trolling rods. You can usually put four lines per side, and you're really covering water. I call it covering real estate. And you're kind of beating up key areas like, uh, say, a, a reef, a, a rocky point you go over that holds fish, a shoreline break. These are all key areas that mm-hmm. hold walleye. And, uh, you know, and a lot of times guys want to catch walleyes jigging or casting. And some of the techniques we use casting are uh, rapla, ripping wraps. They're a casting right. bait in your back. They're almost like a rattle trap. They yep. got a lot of vibrate. They're reactionary type strike bait. Mm-hmm. And then also the, what's really popular now is a jigging wrap and a moonshine shiver minnow. Um, they, you know, those were conventionally or originally used for ice fishing. Now guys are casting those. Mm. And uh, especially in Door County, uh, the Sturgeon Bay area, it's clear water up there. So those fish locate those baits pretty quickly. And uh, when you can get in the walleyes, especially 10 plus pounders that way, that's just an incredible way to fish when they crush that bait. Oh, yeah. Now, do you do you notice a difference in the way the fish fight when you're catching them on casting, you know, casting with lures versus when you're getting them trolling? Oh, absolutely. You know, everyone says, oh, when you reel a walleye and troll and it feels like you're reeling in a sock. Well, <laughs> I disagree with that. Once you take that planer board off and you got a good size walleye on, say, 22 to 24 inches, boy, they're scrappy. You know, yeah. they really are. However, as a general rule of thumb, I would agree with that. Yeah, you get something casting or jigging. They're a lot more scrappier. I mean, they'll they'll rip that line out a couple of times on your drag. Yeah. And you rolling, you've got 10, 12-pound tests. You're reeling them in behind a planer board. You just can't reel them in. You gotta, you gotta kind of reel them in with finesse. Lately, walleyes have really hard mouths, but that skin around their mouth is usually where the hooks kind of embed. And if you reel that walleye in real fast trolling, you, know, you gotta imagine you're going a mile to a mile and three quarters an hour. Mm-hmm. Plus, you're trying to crank that board in. You rip them lures right out of those walleyes' mouths. So the tournament guys over the years kind of. It's an unconventional way to reel a walleye in, but they actually take the rod tip and they put it down towards the water and they reel it in really slow. So the walleye almost kind of swims with you and you keep that fish in the water because if that walleye starts splashing on top, mm-hmm. 80 80% of the time they'll pop off. Yeah. So it's tournament technique where they keep that rod tip in the water, they reel it in slow, or we like to reel the, the, the walleye in slow. And just when I'm ready to net it, I have the customer or the client lift that rod tip up real slow. And then we net them, and it's a really good way to put more walleyes in the boat. We've been talking about the open water fishing here, but you do ice fishing as well, right? 
Yeah, I just love ice fishing. I think in my previous life, I was half polar bear. I just love <laughs> ice fishing. I love uh, the challenge of pulling a big walleye up through the hole or, um, you know, we catch a lot of whitefish out in 100 feet of water in a really deep area in Green Bay where they like to congregate through the winter. Whitefish are just a great fish to eat. Uh, they're in a cispo family, but they got a white firm meat and they're just as close to the walleye as, as far as I'm concerned. Nice. Well, when we get back, Captain Lonnie is going to share an epic ice fishing story with us. Stay tuned. Here's a tip for you about sunscreen. I noticed that many of my sun shirts that I use for fishing were getting nasty rust-colored stains on them around the hand and neck areas. Unfortunately, it would not wash out no matter what I tried, and we all know those pretty fishing shirts are not cheap. As it turns out, That staining is caused by an additive which is in many sunscreens, especially the spray-on kinds that I used to use often. Thankfully, there is a brand of sunscreen that is specially formulated without that additive, so now those pretty shirts stay picture-perfect. Check out our gear page at gear. We have a link to this sunscreen for you there. Okay, we are back, and uh, just before the break, we were... Just starting to get into ice fishing with, with Captain Lonnie, and he's now going to tell us a, uh epic ice fishing adventure that uh, you had, correct? I am. I am. I don't know. But, but if I tell you, I think people are going to think I'm crazy. But uh, <laughs> So, you know, um, the last couple winters haven't been that warm. I mean, January is good. We get some ice. Typically, we get 24 to 30 inches of ice every year. We had a really warm February last year to where it would get freezing, but it was warming up and we had a huge pressure crack open up. Really? The wind opened the crack up maybe 100 to 200 yards. And mind you, we're all 100 feet of water. Mm-hmm. And how we were, were we going to get our ice houses? So I, I used to work construction and build bridges, and we used a lot of um, barges that you drive the cranes onto. So I kind of thought, well, if I get some chainsaws and I cut out a big barge out of the ice uh-huh. and float a gear back across this 200 foot crack. I thought we could get all our gear and equipment. So I got one, got a 12 foot John bolt with a 10 horse. I took all the gear and equipment over in this, uh, 200 foot wide open crack that was, uh, our gear and our, all our ice houses and equipment was on the other side. I ended up cutting a 20 by 30 ice barge and all this ice was probably about 10 to 12 inches thick. We pushed all our ices, houses on, our UTVs, uh, a few <laughs> at a time, and I would have a rope on each side. And we had a crew of guys, and we hooked another UTV to pull this ice barge across. It was quite the operation, but uh, we basically floated all our gear across this crack. And mind you, we were running close to 100 feet of water. If something would have slipped off, it would have had a long fall to the bottom. Oh, my goodness. However... Uh, we had someone looking out for us, but we got all our gear and equipment back and we helped with the competitors well, as well, get their gear and equipment back. And, uh, they, uh, it was quite the story. Um, um, we had the news media there and we had guys filming and checking this all out. Uh, no one has ever done this before. So it was quite a epic story. And you just had to be there and experience it to, uh, you know, because we didn't know how we were going to get our gear back. And, um, you know, there was big storms coming in and, you know, we had to get our gear closer to shore so we didn't lose it because, you know, you got $3,000 into an ice house the way we build them, heavy runners. And 
They're all custom built with pole barn steel. They're spray foamed. You know, you start talking 10 ice houses out there, that's 30 grand, and you definitely don't want to lose that. No, so, hey, plus, um, we, plus you said ATVs and stuff, right? We had UTVs, and these are six passengers. They're, they're, they're the big oh, dogs. The big you ones. Know? Yeah, those aren't cheap either. Well, you got $20,000 into a UTV, and just when you Green Bay usually freezes over, but when you have a warm winter, the lower half freezes and the middle part of Green Bay freezes, but the upper half is wide open. So when you got wind, it swirls that ice around, and that's how pre- pressure cracks are formed and they open and close. Oh. That's why the Green Bay and the Great Lakes ice fishing can be dangerous. So wow. So I I, I presume you go out and test the ice and everything before you take your uh, houses out there and 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 do all those kinds of safety checks first. Yes, you know our best friend is always a satellite photo. Now with the new Hmm. satellite, we can just see how far the ice is froze up Green Bay. Typically, the whole bay freezes in all the way up to Little Bay and Big Bay to Knock in northern Door County. So that keeps that ice from swirling around and pressure cracks from opening and closing. But like I say, they claim, the climatologists claim that in the, the, the winter of 15, we had just the heck of El Nino, one of the worst in history, in terms of warmth, and if you remember, uh, I'm sorry, the winter of 16, mm-hmm. then, you know, there was residuals of uh, the Olsen temperature still kind of being warm at 17, the beginning of 17 here. So that's why, I don't know if you remember, but here in the Green Bay area, that from that third weekend, or I should say the last week of February, we had almost 60 degrees. I mean, that's unheard of in February. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, always a, there's always a February warm-up, but... Um, our ice went to heck pretty quick the last uh, week of February. So um, based on the summer we're having and what the climatologists are saying, we're hoping to have a good, long, cold winter. So we're looking forward to it. You, you don't hear many people pray for a good, long, cold winter, except except the hardcore ice fishermen, I think. You got her. <laughs> well, wow. I, yeah, I was as you were describing that, I'm sitting there thinking of, of those UTVs and all that equipment on that ice that you're ferrying across there and just thinking, oh, my gosh, what would happen if that thing teetered or tipped and all that stuff went down to the bottom? That would be terrible. It would be. We just gambled and we felt pretty good about the ice barge. Actually, we tested it with just one or two ice houses on there. Mm-hmm. At worst, if they would split off, I think they would have floated because they had wood runners. They had they were completely spray foam, so oh, okay. we could have worked, hooked a rope up to them and pulled them back across. I don't know how we would have got them on the existing ice, but we would have probably figured something out. Uh, but we tested a couple of them coming across and then we went and got a big load and loaded them down and brought them across. And heck, it was, it was just like a, like a barge or a big chunk of ice floating that we could manage with a rope on each side. And we just pulled it back and forth. It was an all day process, but let me tell you, it was uh, well worth it once we got all our gear back. Oh, I bet, I bet you breathed the world's biggest sigh of relief when all that equipment was safe. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, wow, that that really is pretty amazing, um, and, and not at all what I was expecting in an ice fishing story. But um, before before we let you go here, just tell us a, a couple of your most epic uh, ice fishing catches. Some of the really awesome, amazing uh, days you've had ice fishing that stand out to you. Yeah, you know we've had some really big walleye. You know that thirty two, thirty three inch mark. And, uh, you know, all fishermen tell a little lies, but, uh, we, uh, we, these were all legit fish. These were all 32 to 33 inch walleyes, you wow. know, 
Yeah. Half, 13 and a half pounds. And for green bay, those are big walleyes. Mm-hmm. Those are big walleyes anywhere in the country. Um, I know Lake uh, Winnipeg up in uh, Manitoba, they do really well for big walleyes, those greenbacks. But there's a few other places. But Green Bay is one of the top five in the nation, probably the, the North America for trophy walleyes. And they've caught some amazing big walleyes, uh, some really big pike where you think you've got a walleye on and you pull mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, a 40, 45-inch northern pike on eight-pound test with a jigging wrap. Uh, luckily, <laughs> that, uh, luckily, that northern pike is caught in the corner of the mouth, so he doesn't snap your line. Well, I was, I was going to say, how do you uh, reach your hand down there and pull that uh, big mouth of teeth up through the ice? Well, you wouldn't realize the challenge when you've got 16, 18, 20 inches of ice and you've got a log underneath there and he's still <laughs> fighting and you've got to turn that fish up and get him up that hole. That's a challenge in itself right there. And you don't want to stick the gaff down there and start gaffing in its gills because you don't want to kill the fish right. just in case you release them. So it's it, there, there's an art to it and you just got to kind of just be patient. You know, I've busted off enough big fish in my younger days to realize you got to tell yourself to slow down, slow right. down, slow. Because every time you get that head in the hole and you start to kind of nurse them up the hole, you're, and he wants to take off, you got to let him go. Because this is that second you just put a little extra pressure on that line, especially a big northern pike, mm-hmm. you got to so. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's slow and steady. It, but, but you're out there and you're cold and your your heart's beating. you got all that adrenaline pumping. That's probably the hardest thing in the world to do is back off and – and let them go slow. Exactly. And it's just, it's patience and coaching. And that's a lot what we do with ice guides too. You know, people come out and their clients come out and all we can do is coach, teach, tell them what we would do. And that's what I guess they're, you know, they're hiring us for. But on top of it too, you let the client also do what they want to do. And, right. You know, I've so many guys bust off big walleyes, big pike, um, open water and ice fishing because we just... Just recently, we had an honest-to-God 52- to 54-inch muskie on um, open water on a wow. little 10-pound rod with a flicker minnow, a Berkeley flicker minnow, and it was caught right in the corner of its mouth, and this thing was huge. The girth on it was incredible. We got a video of it. That being oh, good. said, we fought it for about a half hour, 40 minutes, and then the guy got a little impatient. He went to mm. lift up on his rod. He just did one of these with his head, just shook it, and he was uh, he busted the line. Wow. So, but, that was a heartbreaker, but cool to see the fish anyway. We got to see the fish. So I've seen plenty of heartbreakers, like you just said, uh, <laughs> over the years. And uh, But, you know, you bust, you win some, you lose some. You know, you're not going to win everyone, but when you do win one, it is unbelievable feeling to catch a monster trophy fish. Oh, absolutely. And, and you never, you and your clients never forget it. No, not at all. That's what it's called, making memories, you know. And yep. That's what's uh, to be on Green Bay. Green Bay is just a healthy, unbelievable fishery for trophy-class fish as well as eater-class fish. It's just a, a definitely a destination place, at least uh, on, uh, on a bucket list that everyone should at least try once. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm sold. I hope I can get up there uh, one day. And uh, um, if, if I can get brave enough coming from Florida— to, to do it and do that ice fishing, uh, that would be pretty neat too. It's going to be hard for me to adjust to that cold, but, uh, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, and we got, you know, nowadays we take all that out of it though. I mean, ice fishing sounds cold, but we, we have a bar and grill we run out of. You show up, yeah, you can have lunch, breakfast, 
depending on the time of the day you come out, we take you out to heated ice houses. There's almost like sitting in your living room with a floor in it. <laughs> uh, you fish in the hole. You can turn the heat up. Yeah, it's it's just awesome. You take the ride in on a plowed road back to the heated uh, to the barn grill. Maybe have a, a shot in a beer. You warm up and uh, you go back to your hotel. And it's we have all the amenities that it takes to make you comfortable and catch fit. Awesome. Well, I'm, I like the sound of that, Captain. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. That was uh, that was awesome to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Do you know someone who would be a great guest on the Telltale Fisherman? If so, go to tell.fish slash guest and recommend them for the show. We won't bug them. We'll just give them the chance to share the story of their lifetime and become a fishing legend. Visit tell.fish slash guest. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.